Welcome to the Impact Hour on Money 105.5, where you live with passion, make a difference, and come alive. This show is about you, your life, your impact, and your legacy. Now your hosts, John and Rena. Hey, welcome to the Impact Hour. This is John. I'll be your host for the show today. Today we're talking about mindsets direct your life. How you think and what you believe ends up having a huge influence over the way that your life goes. What we believe and how we interpret the world directs our whole life. It influences where we work, where we live, who we marry, and how we feel on a regular basis and more. In a sense, what we do reveals what we truly believe about life, people, and God. And I'm not just talking about religious or political beliefs, although these are in the mix as well. So we're going to talk today a lot about these different kinds of mindsets that we have, these different beliefs about the world and how they might be influencing uh, what we're experiencing in life. And so the first one is what is called confirmation bias. You may have heard this before. Confirmation bias is where we see what we already believe. And so let's say uh, someone believes that all men are pigs. I don't believe that, by the way, <laughs> which is a good thing because I'm a guy. But uh, let's suppose someone says all men are pigs. That's their belief. And they go through the world. And with confirmation, that person would notice when there's a guy not acting so great. And would go, look, see, all men are pigs. And when that person encounters a guy who's not acting that way, might not even notice it. Confirmation bias is where we see what's in the world that actually confirms what we already believe. And it creates a sort of filter so that what we believe gets reinforced over and over again by this filter that we see and we start to believe what are we believing more and more deeply. So the belief that all men are pigs would become set in more and more and more to where it might be very difficult to believe that maybe that's not always the case. That maybe there are guys who aren't pigs, that there can be some really gentlemanly fellows out there, and uh, not all guys are pigs, but that might be very hard for such a person to really see that because of confirmation bias. And if, for instance, that person were going through the world believing that all men are pigs, and they wanted to have an awesome relationship with a guy, that might be really hard. And so that belief is actually influencing what that person is getting in life, and they might have a hard time believing that guys actually can be good and can be gentlemanly and can be very supportive and helpful and might filter out even being with a guy who was that way because it doesn't match up with an internal belief. And so that is a case where the belief is influencing what the person is getting in life. And of course, that is just the first mindset. There is a whole set of these. These are things that we believe about how the world works, how people behave, uh, how God interacts with people, and it influences what choices we make, what we think is possible, what we are even willing to try, uh, all sorts of things. So the second mindset we've titled, This Means That. It has to do with what we make things mean. Something happens. Somebody cuts us off on the road. What does it mean? 
Maybe it doesn't mean anything, but we often assign a meaning to it. And so oftentimes our beliefs about how the world works influences what we make things mean. If we believe the world is full of jerks, then when we go down the freeway and someone cuts us off, the confirmation bias will kick in. Oh, there's just another jerk in the world. They're just inconsiderate. And that's our belief about what just happened and what it means. It means that they are inconsiderate and they are not watching out for anybody else but themselves. It's possible that could be true, but we actually don't really know for sure. And so we're creating an experience for ourselves as we kind of navigate through the world, believing that perhaps everyone's a jerk. And then we're, we're assuming that people are acting and behaving for these maybe self-centered reasons or reasons uh, that we're just making up on the spot. And we're creating an experience of the world where it feels like it's, it's pretty depressing. You know, no one seems to care for us. People are just a bunch of jerks. And that's the world that we live in would be the belief behind that. Actually, assigning meaning to events is something we often really can't help ourselves doing. It's kind of built into it. So when something happens or some event, somebody says something or does something, we perceive that. But it, in order for it to get to our perception, it first goes through a kind of filter. And it might get filtered out or we might not perceive it at all. And the filter can be a number of different things. They can be fil physical filters. They can be mental, whatever it is. It can get filtered in or filtered out. We might have a heightened sense for certain things, and we might actually notice it more than other people would. That would be part of the filter. And then once it gets past the filter, we would assign a meaning to it. The meaning gets assigned to it even before we are aware of what is going on. That's because our mind cannot stand there not being a reason for something. We must fill that in. We are compelled. And so if somebody says or does something and we don't know why, we're usually not good with just not knowing. And so we make up some reason to explain it so we can describe our world and understand our world being a certain way. And so we perceive things with meanings already built in. Oftentimes, the meanings that we have built in is habitual. It's almost kind of like confirmation bias, but it's, you know, people are behaving a certain way because of something, because, you know, they're inconsiderate or they don't like us or whatever we make it mean. And oftentimes the meaning gets kind of worn in like a well-worn groove. And so people do things maybe over and over again. This person does something, that person does something, another person does the same thing. And we start assigning that same meaning over and over again. And we start to build up beliefs around why people are doing things. But the critical thing to note here is that the meaning that we've assigned oftentimes is completely made up. Total story, complete fabrication. We have no way of knowing for sure to verify if that's really the reason why they did or said that. Completely made up. So if we're going to make up a story around why somebody did something... Why would you want to make up a story that just feels so cruddy and so depressing? Why make up a negative story? If we're going to completely make up and completely fabricate a story around why somebody did something, why don't we make up a good story? If it's made up, we wouldn't know for sure one way or the other. So we can make up a story that fits the facts, that is believable, that is much more positive. And our experience of the world would be so much different if we just gave people the benefit of the doubt 
and assume that they weren't doing things for reasons that were negative because they're selfish, because they don't care, or for whatever reason we have in there. And if we just assigned automatically positive reasons, our experience of life would be so much better. Now, the process of assigning better meanings is not just something we can just flip a switch. You can't just go click and now I've got positive meanings for everybody. That just doesn't work out so hot. And so usually it's a process. And the process usually is catching ourselves, coming up with this really negative story around why people are doing things or why something is happening. And then go, oh, I think that's made up. I don't really know that for sure. And then we get to come up with a brand new story, something that is much more supportive, kind of serves us a little bit better, maybe even makes us feel better about ourselves. So an example might be, I have a personal example of this. In the past, I've had employment and I've been laid off. And in the past, when I was laid off, the story that I made up was, oh, I wasn't good enough. I wasn't a good enough employee. And that's why they let me go. And so that wasn't a very supportive story, especially as I'm trying to find new work. That wasn't very helpful. I'm going around thinking, well, I wasn't really a good enough employee at the last place, but now I'm trying to work for you. That really hinders my ability to be confident that I can do a good job and be worth the salary that I would be taking in and not feel like I'm a fraud or a fake. And so that story really wasn't serving me really well. And so since then, I've decided to look at it very carefully. And in thinking about it, I decided probably for a boss who had to let go a certain percentage of their employees, that probably would be a really, really tough decision. Certainly not something where you just go roll some dice and go, well, okay, this person or that person, you would want to think about it and you'd probably have a lot of angst over it and it would not be an easy selection process. And probably most bosses wouldn't want to let anyone go because they valued everyone. And so I don't know if it's true or not. It's another made up story. The story I made up is as they were looking for people to let go because they had to, they looked at me and said, yeah, John's awesome. He's going to get work pretty easy. I actually don't feel so bad letting him go because I know he's going to be okay and he's a really good hard worker and I know he'll get work really quick and this will be fine. As opposed to maybe some other employee there who are maybe their spouse is going through cancer and they're going through a really tough time and might be thinking, you know, I really can't do that to them. They're just really going through a tough time and I just wouldn't feel good about that. Who knows why a boss lets people go? Different bosses probably have different reasons. But I like my new meaning a lot better. It's so much more supportive and more helpful. And is it made up? Sure, it's completely made up. But so is the idea that I'm not a good employee. That would be completely made up as well either. In fact, I suspect it really is not true. It was just a lie that I was believing. And so that's a way of assigning new meanings to something that has occurred where we used to have a negative detrimental meaning to it. If you ever encounter somebody with cynicism, or maybe you have cynicism. In, in built in with the cynicism is the idea that, you know, if the bosses are saying or doing something, they don't really mean the positive thing that they're really saying. What it really means is they're doing this or they have this motivation or they just don't care or whatever. It's just a cynical view of the world or the view that, you know, nothing, nothing can ever change. It's just the way it is. It's just cruddy. It's going through the world with a cynical view. And... If you are that kind of person and you've decided that really is a depressing state to be in, you might look at some of the meanings that you've assigned to certain things. 
Maybe not everything is a negative story. Maybe the bosses are saying and doing things that maybe it seems negative with one way of interpreting it, but could also seem positive. And I'm going to go to a break. We will be right back. Do you want your kids to listen to you more? Bosses, do you want your employees to be more engaged? Salespeople, do you want your customers to be more inclined to say yes? I'm Rena Bonicio from the Impact Hour, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Let's explore some simple changes you can make to get the responses you want from people. Schedule your free discovery session with me at theimpacthour.com. Making some simple changes in yourself can make a dramatic difference in your relationships. Schedule your free discovery session at theimpacthour.com. Some assembly required. Meaning, significance, satisfaction, connection. You can have it all. Learn how on the Impact Hour, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. on Money 105.5. Host John and Rena will help you be a change agent, a leader, a hero. Move through your world, touching lives, and experiencing a deep sense of connection and meaning. Listen to the Impact Hour, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. on Money 105.5. Your impact matters. You matter. Did you miss a show? Check out past shows at theimpacthour.com. Live life on purpose. This is the Impact Hour with John and Rena on Money 105.5. Welcome back. Today, we're talking about mindsets direct your life. And they can direct them either in a positive way, in a helpful way, or they can hinder And we're talking about some mindsets that perhaps we hold and how can we change those to positive mindsets so that we can have more of the kind of life that we really want. And if you're just joining us for the first time today and you like today's show and you like to see and hear some of the past episodes, I guess you wouldn't really see them exactly, but you'd listen to them. (laughs) You can go to theimpacthour.com and past episodes are listed there and you can listen to all of our past episodes. Or if you'd like, there are instructions for there on how to take us with you in your favorite podcast player. So one of the other mindsets that can really hinder is thinking that you have to or you can't. And I know I've been in this space in the past, and it actually is a pretty depressing space. It feels like my life is being controlled by circumstances and everyone else. And when I'm in that state or when I have been in that state, it feels true. It feels like, oh, I have to do this because of this and this and this, and I can't do this other thing because these other reasons, and this person is doing this, so then I can't or I have to do this other thing. And then we go through life feeling like everything is dictated by other people or circumstances, and we don't feel like we have any options. And we end up living life by default from this place. We get a job because we couldn't get another one, and so we had to get this one. We got married because that's who we believed would say yes. We live in a certain town because our parents expected us to stay close, and we had to live there. Or we lived in a certain house because we couldn't afford another one, and so we had to get this one. And we left our job because we got laid off, and we drift through life living by default. And our experience of life is that we pretty much existed. And it's not very uplifting and exciting. It feels pretty drab and mundane, 
and we feel like our life is pretty much controlled by other people or our circumstances. The opposite way to live there is we would choose where we wanted to live, where we wanted to work, what we wanted to make our life mean, and we got to choose what we wanted to contribute to the world, and we got to choose the impact that we wanted to make. And it would be all of our choice, and we would pick what we wanted, and it wouldn't matter what anybody else said or did, we would have a chance to pick what we wanted. Now, this second way of living might seem like it's out of reach. But I've learned that we have a whole lot of options that oftentimes we really aren't considering when we're living in a have-to-can't kind of world. The options are out there, we're just not perceiving them so much. And so we get to say to our boss, no, I won't go move there, or no, I won't do this. And if we don't get that job at the company we really wanted, we get to try again. And we get to say, you know, I really want to work for you guys and I don't know how it's going to happen, but I want to make sure that this happens someday at some time and I'm going to keep bugging you until it does. And that would be taking control of your life and making it go the way that you want it. Sometimes that's a little scary because we wonder and we're afraid maybe what we pick isn't what we really want. And if we pick something and it's not great, then whose fault is it? And we may be in the spot where we feel like we have to blame ourselves for what's there. Whereas if we live according to other people's desires and wishes and circumstances, we can blame everybody else and everything else. And we don't have to take responsibility for anything. But if we learn that it's okay, we can pick things that don't work out and then we get to pick something else. It's really not a big deal. So we just go, well, I thought this would be great. It wasn't. Let's go do something else. We don't have to really be afraid of the idea that it doesn't work out. Sometimes we get this idea that we get one try to get it right, and when we don't get it right, it's a failure, which I'll talk about later on also, um, and that somehow there's something wrong if somehow we don't get it right out of the gate. And in life, I've learned that we actually usually don't get it right out of the gate. That's how we learn and grow as a person. So one of the sayings I like to have is we don't want to live in someone else's choose. We want to choose for ourselves, And that gives us power and control over our life, and we get to pick what we want. And sure, other people's choices and actions do influence us, but they don't control us. And we get a chance to go ahead and say, well, so-and-so did such and such, and so what are my options from here? What can I do? Where can I go? What would I like to go? And where would I like to go? What would I like to do from here? What do I want my life to be about? And is this choice in alignment with what I want my life to be about? And then just go choose that. And if that doesn't work, go try something else. But at least it puts you in the driver's seat. And you're not living at the mercy of things out there. You are driven internally, internally motivated by what you want for your life. And that leads us a little bit to the next mindset, which has to do with self-value. This is such a subtle uh, thing that can happen. And we have this certain level of self-value. We think, okay, this is my self-esteem. I'm good up to this spot here. And uh, maybe we're not good. We feel like we're not worthy. We're not, uh, you know, worth uh, anything. We're not, you know, if, if there's an opinion about where to go and what to do next, someone else's opinion might take precedence in your world. Or you might think, well, with some people I would choose, but with other people I would let them choose. 
but it can be really a subtle thing that slips in and through our life. And our whole class system, our economic strata that we have in our society, oftentimes is driven by this idea of self-value. Now, I saw this at play. There was somebody who was uh, that I knew that I was visiting with, and they were looking for work. And they'd been looking for work for a while, and I just happened to look down in one of my emails that I get, and uh, I am subscribed to theladders.com just because I'd like to see what's going on out there and see see what the state of things are. I'm not looking for work right now, just, just to be clear. <laughs> um, but anyways, I looked in there, and there was this job opening, this job opportunity that fit this person perfectly. It was a great job for them. They were exactly qualified for it. And I shared. And the response was, oh, oh, the ladders? Oh, that's a 100000 a year type jobs. Oh, oh, I'm not worth that. And that's the kind of thing that happens with our idea of self-value. And that can affect our whole lot in our life. It can affect what jobs we are willing to apply for. It can affect where we would choose to live. And we filter things out and go, oh, well, I'm, I'm not worthy of this kind of neighborhood or I could never take a job like that. And that has to do a lot of times with our self-value, our view of our own self-worth. In reality, the amount we get paid at work really is not tied to our own self-worth as a person. Those two things are really separate things but it's easy to get them confused and mixed up. And often we do, especially when you get a promotion, we feel really good about ourselves. Ooh, I'm, I'm worth more now. And we feel like it has to do with somehow intrinsically as a person we're worth more. We get it all kind of interwoven in there. It's pretty easy. And our idea of our self-worth and our self-value oftentimes influences what choices we're willing to make, what options we're willing to consider. It's kind of like a story I heard, I think I read it in a book a while ago uh, by an author named Brian Clemmer. He talked about, uh, it's kind of this, this parable of a guy going out and he's fishing. And he goes out and he catches a six-inch fish and he keeps that. And he goes and he catches a two-foot fish and he throws that one back. And then he catches, you know, another, you know, nine-inch fish and he keeps that. And someone observing goes, you know, why are you keeping these and throwing those ones out? And he says, well, my pan's only 12 inches, so if it's bigger than that, it won't fit, so I throw those fish back. And that's like what we do with opportunities in the world. If this job seems bigger than our pan, then we throw it back and we don't pursue it. But the solution to get over that is to make your pan bigger, not to keep throwing fish back or to get a bigger pan. And to get a bigger pan, in this case, if we're kind of working with the analogy, is to increase your view of your own personal value. What are you worth? And maybe even in your mind, separate that your worth as a person, which has intrinsic value all by itself, doesn't necessarily relate to how much you're getting paid. And if you can separate those and say, well, in terms of getting paid, sure, I could make this amount of money. I think I can provide that much value by the work that I do then that would help shape your experience of life. So I think this happens at all levels. So even at all economic levels, there's a ceiling by which a person says, oh, I won't look for work like this because, oh, that's not me, or I'm not valuable like that. And if we can grow our self-worth, that will help a whole lot. It'll make a really big difference. 
And I can only say from my own personal experience that I'm in the middle of this myself, that my own self-worth has been at a certain level and I'm increasing that. And the way that I increase my personal self-view, my understanding of my own value, is I get that from God. And I have times when I sit quiet and I contemplate how much God values me as a person, and I let that sink in. Because God has pretty much a final say on my value. It's definitive. It is what he declares it to be, and... I could disagree with God, but his is the final answer that gets used. And my understanding of God is that he he values me incredibly, so much so that he was willing to send his son and die on the cross for me. That is pretty darn valuable. And I let that sink in, and I often have to let that repeat over and over again. So I let that really sink in, and it's a process, not a one-time event. You can try other other methods for yourself uh, in this regard. Uh, if you find something that works, stick with it. Next mindset is has to do with how things work in the world. Oftentimes, we have a view of the world that if I win, that means that you lose, and there can be only one winner. And we go through the world this belief that there's only one winner, and if I win, you lose, and that's actually kind of this maybe a bittersweet win because then maybe you get to lose and I'm not so happy about that. And so what we want to do is to understand that more than one person can win. We can all win. There's not just one winner. And we actually talk about this in our book called Splash, Increase Your Life's Impact. It's a mindset and we call it win-win or no deal. And we will talk about this some more right after this break. Meaning, significance, satisfaction, connection. You can have it all. Learn how on the Impact Hour, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. on Money 105.5. Host John and Rena will help you be a change agent, a leader, a hero. Move through your world, touching lives and experiencing a deep sense of connection and meaning. Listen to the Impact Hour, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. on Money 105.5. Your impact matters. You matter. Did you miss a show? Check out past shows at theimpacthour.com. The following statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Do you want your thin hair to feel and look thicker? With Viviscal, the number one drug-free healthy hair supplement in the U.S., two little tablets is all it takes, guaranteed. Viviscal is clinically researched to promote existing hair growth for men and women. And right now, a 90-day supply of Viviscal is offered in your area, risk-free plus free shipping. Viviscal nourishes thinning hair from within, and we guarantee you'll love your hair growth results. Viviscal is so effective, it's recommended by doctors. Here's what dermatologist Dr. John Laura has to say about Viviscal. I feel confident recommending Viviscal. It's backed by 25 years of research and multiple clinical studies that demonstrate Viviscal's effectiveness in promoting the growth of thicker, fuller hair. It's so easy to try Viviscal. Call right now for a 90-day risk-free supply plus free shipping. Call 800-335-6708. That's 800-335-6708. 800-335-6708. 
Parents, do you want your kids to listen to you more? Bosses, do you want your employees to be more engaged? Salespeople, do you want your customers to be more inclined to say yes? I'm Rena Bonicio from the Impact Hour, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Let's explore some simple changes you can make to get the responses you want from people. Schedule your free discovery session with me at theimpacthour.com. Making some simple changes in yourself can make a dramatic difference in your relationships. Schedule your free discovery session at theimpacthour.com. Some assembly required. Now back to the Impact Hour with John and Rena on Money 105.5. More fun than visiting the in-laws. Welcome back. We're talking about mindsets direct your life, either positively or negatively. And just before the break, we were talking about the mindset of win-win. Oftentimes, it's a very subtle mindset that we have taken in the idea that if I win, you must lose. And for you to win, then I must lose that there is only one winner. We often take this in because games that we play in the world often have only one winner. In the Olympic Games, only one person gets the gold. But in life, that really isn't always true. Remember this very distinct event in the past, uh, quite a number of years ago, Apple Corporation had gone to Microsoft. Steve Jobs had asked and talked to Bill Gates that maybe they could get some funding from Microsoft to help them out because they were in a tight spot and tried to argue that it was actually good for Microsoft for Apple to be around and got the funding. And I remember he was announcing this at an event, and there were a lot of folks in the audience, and folks in the audience started going, boo. They were booing this choice. In their mind, that was not good. Microsoft was evil, and they shouldn't be cooperating with them. Microsoft is the one that should lose, and Apple should win. And Steve Jobs said, you know, Microsoft doesn't have to lose in order for us to win. And that is so true. The other people don't have to lose for you to win. And oftentimes around this way of of win-lose or win-win, we oftentimes have different views of that and different approaches. And sometimes, again, it ties into our self-value and our self-worth. And so a lot of times, depending on who it is, they might be going for lose-win. They're losing for themselves so somebody else can win. They might have low self-esteem, low self-value. They have kind of this, some people call it a martyr syndrome. And they always pick an option where they lose because somehow when they were growing up, that meant they could be loved and accepted by other people or or for whatever reason like that. And so they go for lose-win often and maybe, maybe frequently, maybe most of the time. There's another one that was called lose-lose, and this is where you have vindictiveness. And I don't care if I lose as long as you lose and they're out to get you. <laughs> a lot of folks, though, don't do those two. I don't find that too common. Oftentimes I see these next two and one is win-lose. And that's the belief that for me to win, you must lose and I want the win for me. So too bad. And when you're negotiating with somebody who goes for win-lose, it's really not very fun. And there's a lot of clawing and fighting over the one who gets to be the winner and a lot of manipulation and a lot of weird stories and, oh, my kid's in the hospital and, oh, you're going to do this to me and whatever it is in the negotiation. Um, And it's not all that fun, in my opinion. I guess if you love negotiating, maybe that's fun. But if you were really in a heartfelt negotiation with somebody, you wouldn't want them to go for win-lose. That just doesn't feel good. The other one that I find folks going for is just called win win for themselves, and then you get to defend your own win. And a lot of people, I think, actually just fall into that one. 
They really don't care if you lose, but they just want to get a win for themselves. And they often believe that maybe you can win or maybe you can't. I just want to guard my win. And then they'll leave that up to you to go ahead and guard your own win as well. And I think that's better than a lot of the others, but it's still not the best approach. A best approach to negotiating and working through uh, some kind of uh, agreement together is to approach it with win-win or no deal. We're not going to do any deals unless everybody wins. We're not going to go forward unless everyone feels good about how we're going. That would be win-win or no deal. And when you're negotiating or working with somebody, maybe it's another family member, maybe it's a business deal, it feels so much better when both parties have agreed up front, we're not going to do any deals where, where everybody doesn't feel good about it and everybody's not getting a win. And that is so much better. It actually guards their win as well as your own. And everyone feels good about the process It reduces the amount of manipulation and positional bargaining that can go on. Puts people in a resourceful state where more options are possible and you tend to find solutions that people like even more if they approach it with win-win or no deal. And this mindset can affect a whole lot about the choices you have in life, the choices that you're willing to pick. And so you're trying to negotiate a win with your boss, asking for a raise. And so you're trying to manipulate your boss and the boss doesn't feel good because they feel manipulated and they don't really want to give the raise because they feel like you're just controlling. And so they maybe concede for a little bit and that's all you get. But if you're going for win-win or no deal, suppose you say, I'd like a raise and here's what I'm willing to do to make that feel good for you as well. And then the boss can go, yay, this is awesome. In fact, I like this so much. You're asking for this much. Who knows, it could happen. They'll say, I actually want to give you this other amount in addition to that. And I like this deal that you've come up with. It puts people at ease. And maybe you can even come up with a way of getting the raise that you wouldn't have thought of originally because now both you and your boss are working on the same side towards the same goal. It works out so much better. This next mindset, I'm calling it and titling it the thin slice of life. It has a way, has to do with our perception, our view of the world, and in a sense, it's uh, how much we're zoomed in on a specific event or specific slice in time, and it's kind of like uh, looking through a telephoto lens, or for fun, I like to say it's like looking through a toilet paper tube. You're going through life, looking at events and looking at things going on through a toilet paper tube. You get a very narrow slice of what's going on. You don't get to see the whole picture. You get to see just a little bit of it. And if we are going through life looking at this very narrow view of what's happening and we make snap decisions about what's going on right now, right here, in this small slice of time, not aware of how everything else is attached to it, we might make decisions that are really not all that helpful. I mean, sure, they might address what's going on right here, right now, but oftentimes then there are unintended consequences from looking at the world like that. Dave Ramsey has a quote around this, and he says, right here, right now, we'll steal your life away if you're not careful. So right here, right now, this Starbucks looks really good, whether I have the money for it or not, and I'm going to get one because right here, right now, that's what I want. That's just an example. Or right here, right now, I see this specific problem cropping up, and I'm just going to 
take a two seconds and come up with my first idea and go address it within that span of time, just this right here, right now. And sometimes that seems to work. But the truth is that a lot more is interconnected than we often think. Things in time are interconnected. What happened yesterday influences what happens today, which influences what happened tomorrow. And if we're making a choice about just what's happening today and not realizing that it could have consequences for tomorrow. For instance, when raising kids, maybe they aren't picking up their clothes. And so right here, right now, the problem looks like that their clothes aren't picked up. And so we get in and we pick up their clothes for them because that's the problem. But then over time, the kids don't learn to pick up their own clothes because we have not gone through the process to teach them to do it themselves. And so we fix the problem right here, right now, but have longer term consequences and they're not picking up their clothes much later in life like we would have hoped. And we're not realizing that the choices we make right now with how we're parenting our kid influences their character and it shapes them a lot over time. And things are far more connected, not just across time, but they're interconnected uh, just naturally in the current time uh, more than we might think. And so the analogy is you've got a rug with a lump in it. And so you take a hammer and hammer down the lump and a lump shows up somewhere else. And sure, the lump we hammered on is gone, but now it's popped up somewhere else. The truth is, is that just about everything is interconnected through a system, either directly or indirectly. And oftentimes those interactions can be pretty tricky. But if we try to address issues in, the, in life without understanding how things are interconnected, we're constantly playing catch up. We fix this problem, another one crops up, so we fix that, another one pops up. So we fix that one, and maybe the original problem comes back, and so we go and fix that one again. And so without looking at how the system is all interconnected, uh, we're really not taking control of our life the way we would want. We're just trying to put out these, these fires, if you will, that have come up, and we're trying to address them as they come up. And we get into a very much a reactionary mode. And we can see this all over the place in government. We make laws to fix certain issues, and other issues pop up. And they call that the unintended consequences there. Uh, it can happen in families, in our businesses, and workplaces. And while it is difficult, it is worth it to figure out how things are interconnected in systems so that we can take control and actually produce the results that we want in life. Last one talks about failure, a mindset. And we have this idea that failure is bad, that we can't fail, we don't want to fail. That takes us into the zone of shame. Um, you know, they, it's kind of like the quote from the movie where, you know, they had the cone of shame on. <laughs> um, uh, we, you know, a lot of times I think this comes from how we, we do things in school. We, we learn in class, we take the test, and then we get a grade, and then it's done. It's like we got the grade and it's over, and either we passed or we failed, or we got some sort of letter grade, and then we move on to the next thing. And uh, we have this fear of failure that, you know, we'll, we'll appear like we're not smart or we'll appear like we're somehow a bozo or, or whatever we, we fear in there, this idea of failure. And the truth in life is that failure is a good thing. In fact, I wouldn't even call it failure, but trying something and having it not work is a good thing. And we will talk about this more right after this break. 
parents, do you want your kids to listen to you more? Bosses, do you want your employees to be more engaged? Salespeople, do you want your customers to be more inclined to say yes? I'm Rena Bonicio from the Impact Hour, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Let's explore some simple changes you can make to get the responses you want from people. Schedule your free discovery session with me at theimpacthour.com. Making some simple changes in yourself can make a dramatic difference in your relationships. Schedule your free discovery session at theimpacthour.com. Some assembly required. Meaning, significance, satisfaction, connection. You can have it all. Learn how on the Impact Hour, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. on Money 105.5. Host John and Rena will help you be a change agent, a leader, a hero. Move through your world, touching lives, and experiencing a deep sense of connection and meaning. Listen to the Impact Hour, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. on Money 105.5. Your impact matters. You matter. Did you miss a show? Check out past shows at theimpacthour.com. Now back to the Impact Hour with John and Rena on Money 105.5. More fun than visiting the in-laws. Welcome back. We've been talking about mindsets direct your life, and they can direct your life in a positive way, or they can hold you back. Mindsets are how we see the world, how we think that life works, or they can be about people or about other things as well, including our view of God. And then just before the break, we were talking about the value of failure. It sounds crazy weird, but failure is a good thing. Failure is how we learn. If you ever watch how a kid learns to ride a bike, they don't sit down and study a book and then read the book and then read the book again and make a plan and make a chart of things to do to learn how to ride a bike and then get on and then successfully ride the bike. That's just not how that works. They get on and they fall down and they get on and they fall down and they get on and they fall down over and over and over again until one day they get on and they are riding the bike and they're not falling down anymore. I mean, sure, you can put training wheels on and that can help. But still, I think in the kid's mind, if the training wheels are touching, then, you know, they're they're not quite succeeding riding the bike the way they should be. And they're learning from that and they're learning from their mistakes. And oftentimes in life, it really works more than that. That if things don't work out, it really isn't the end of the story. In fact, I think it is Zig Ziglar who says failure is not really failure until you give up. And that's when it becomes a failure. But if you keep trying and you keep doing different things and you keep tweaking, you've really not failed yet. You're still trying and you're still learning along the way. And life really is much more like that than the classroom setting that we have nowadays. And I'm not trying to knock the classroom setting. It's just different. And in life, when we try something and it doesn't work, that doesn't mean that it failed. And I know I've done some myself and seen a lot of people go, oh, well, this failed. That didn't work. I give up. It didn't work on the first attempt. And most folks who are successful would agree that they didn't succeed on the first attempt. It took a while. It took a lot of learning. It took them trying things out. And so failure is really a good thing. And in fact, when you start something brand new, you should expect that it won't work at least some of the time. It's not going to be super awesome right out of the gate. I mean, if it does, sure, that's an awesome surprise. And it's not being cynical about it. It's just having good expectations that this really is a learning process that you're going to learn and then you're going to evaluate. And the evaluation, of course, is super important. If it didn't work, why did it not work? 
And if you're not quite sure, how can you test things to figure out what does work? And then you try something else and then you evaluate and you try something else and then you evaluate and try something else. And in fact, for many businesses, this is an ongoing process that they're still learning along the way. And if a business stops learning, usually they become stagnant and some competitor eventually comes up and steals the show. That's because they stopped learning. And so failure actually is a good thing. And in fact, the way I look at it is there really is no failure. There are only learning experiences. There's a few other mindsets as well. And so one of the mindsets that I think is very helpful is one of just continuous learning. It kind of relates to the idea of failure, but it might not involve any sort of trying of anything, but to always be learning and growing as a person. And there's lots of ways of doing that. Books are great. Books can have a certain level of learning in them. And I think it's always good to be reading a book. And Dave Ramsey says that most millionaires read a book a month. So he's got a friend who says he wants to become a two millionaire by reading two books a month. Not that it would actually work that way. It's kind of a joke. (laughs) And I find that books are great, but I think other kinds of learning help as well. In fact, trying things out uh, actually is a different kind of learning than just book learning. And I would recommend both. I would recommend stretching yourself and trying something new. It actually brings excitement to your life as you try something new. Maybe it's a little scary, but you get to learn a lot and you get to grow as a person and what you're comfortable with expands. And so a book a month is great, but if you've never tried public speaking, maybe for you, that would be a good next step for you. So you might go to some place where they have, you know, meetup groups where they're doing uh, public speaking. There's one coming up here uh, soon with the Unchained Men. They have this open mic event and maybe you have a story you'd like to share, but you've been afraid to. And that would be a good place to go and to practice and to try something out and to stretch yourself. Or maybe there's some other things that you've never done before and you would like to try them out. Maybe you'd like to write a book and you've never done that. You feel like you have a book in you. Maybe now it's time to get started and to try that just so you can learn. Maybe the book will be wildly successful or even maybe not, but you still get to learn in the process. It's a way of growing yourself as you go along. Or maybe you always wanted to start your business. And maybe now is time to go ahead and start. Doesn't mean you need to quit your current job, but maybe you can start it on the side and see what you can do there. Growing and stretching, I find, makes life much more enjoyable. I think growing and learning new things is the spice of life. It makes it so it's not mundane and the same all the time. Kind of related to that is this idea of risk management. So a lot of times we approach life that we should not take risks for a lot of my life. I really was careful with my risks. I didn't want to take too many risks. I didn't want to do anything where I could possibly look foolish. For me, that would be like the end of the world. I was so afraid of that. Um, But I've learned since that it's not the end of the world and learning to take risks appropriately actually is a good thing. Now, one of the things that can help us take risks in some areas is to actually decrease risk in others. Sometimes we have risk in our life that we really don't need. It's not really helping us at all. It's not moving us forward. So, for instance, if you have a whole lot of debt in your life, a lot of payments there, that's a lot of risk in your life. 
and it feels too risky then to try things like start a business or start a new venture because this debt is still sitting there and it needs to get paid. And so that is one of the things uh, that you could take care of. If you get intentional about it, you can get out of debt. It may take a while, but if you get really intense, it uh, probably wouldn't take nearly as long as you would think. And then that would free you up so that you can take risks in other areas in your life. So that's mainly the topic today. There are other mindsets, certainly can't cover all of them. But one of the good things to ask is, am I making assumptions that are making and influencing my choices in life? And is that really helping me get what I want? Is it helping me make my life mean what I want? Is it helping me pursue the things that I value a lot? And I can share from personal experience that if you get to the end of your life and are aware of it coming, one of the things that you are likely to regret far more than anything else are the things that you never tried and the things that you didn't do. And I had that experience when I had my heart attack in 2005. And so I really encourage you to take a look at your mindsets and see where you can move your life forward. You've been listening to the Impact Hour. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 